Warning, this podcast contains major plot spoilers. What's going on? What's wrong with me? Hello everyone and welcome back to Flash Rewind, your horror crash course podcast from me, the Tape Fiend. Thank you for joining me for episode number three. Today we are going to be finishing our retrospective of the Return of the Living Dead franchise with Return of the Living Dead Part 3. I was recommended this film by my local horror guru, Dustin. I was hesitant at first, after Return 2 it burned me. I thought this movie was going to be another jokester shit show, but it turned out to be better than I expected. It scared me in a few spots, and the movie was much darker than any of the previous films. I'm excited to talk about this one. It seemed not many people remember this one coming out, considering it absolutely fucking died in the box office. Most flops go out with a whimper. This movie was snuffed with a pillow when it was released. With a budget of $2 million, I want you guys to guess how much money it made back. A million dollars? 500,000? No. $14,810. What the fuck? This movie made back 0.007% of its budget. That is brutal. But hey, I have a copy of it on tape, and I love it dearly. So let's get into this hidden gem of sorts with plot dump. The film begins in a military base with some military leader guys talking about the zombies. One of them, Sinclair, wants to put the zombies into fucking exoskeletons to turn them into bio-war machines. We are then introduced to Julie with her friends. She's the 90s as fuck punk teen burning herself with a lighter just to feel something, man. Her boyfriend and protagonist, Kurt, brings his father's stolen keycard to break into the military lab so they can watch the special test. In the lab, Guys in hazmat suits are bringing a dead guy into a room with a trioxin tank. They string up the corpse, preparing to let the gas loose. Inside the tank, we see Tarman version 3. Kurt sneaks into the base, but can't get the key to work until Julie uses her long enough to make you feel slightly uncomfortable tongue to lick the key, which makes it work. They both get inside and start watching in on the test. In one room, they see people throwing human remains into a retort, and in the other, we have our homie strung up. They spray its face with gas. Everyone looks on as it returns to life and starts shaking and violently screaming. This time, they have a weapon against the trioxin. They have a freezy gun that shoots a CO2 shell, freezing it, paralyzing the zombie. Kurt and Julie are spooked and go back home. The paralysis was only temporary, though, because the zombie returns to life and bites a man's fingers off. Then, grabbing a scalpel, he stabs the poor bastard. The zombie is throwing people around while the higher-ups watch on from their safe room. The zombie is rampaging, throwing the man with no fingers into the fortified glass until he dies, while the bumbling hazmat men load up the CO2 projectile, as they are called, and get him in the head once more, sending him back to the floor. No Fingers Boy has a bubbly chemical reaction in his brain and comes to life and starts eating one of his former co-workers, biting his leg and dragging into the ground, covering those once pristine white suits in a puddle of crimson blood. Julie and Kurt are having sexual relations, and midway through, Julie starts talking about the zombie, getting riled up, asking if it felt any pain when its skull was cracked with a projectile. Kurt, rightfully so, 
is freaked the fuck out. Kurt's dad comes home and tells him that he's being relocated to Oklahoma City. This pisses Kurt off. He tells his dad to go fuck himself and runs away with Julie on his motorcycle, claiming he's going to move to Seattle and be a rock and roll drummer like any self-respecting teen in the 90s would. Kurt is about to go from his all-time high to his all-time low. When celebrating with Julie, she gets a little too frisky, touching Kurt's balls and whatnot, causing him to lose control, nearly sending them directly into an oncoming truck. He swerves out of the way, instead hitting a guardrail, launching Julie into a street pole, killing her instantly. While mourning his loss, he notices the key card on the ground and gets an idea on how to bring her back. Kurt breaks back into the facility with a dead Julie thrown over her shoulder. With proper PPE, he pries open a tank, releasing all the gas into the room. Julie begins convulsing as she slowly returns to life, not knowing what happened. At the same time, the tank begins to shake. Tarman 3 emerges, and boy is he nasty. It attacks Julie, but Kurt punches it so hard that it flies back 15 feet, and its skin rips from its skull. They try to escape, but are held at gunpoint by a security guard. Before he shoots, Tarman 3 tackles him to the ground and eats his brains. They escape the facility, but are caught on surveillance, and are now being tracked by the military. Julie is experiencing symptoms of 245 trioxin and demands they stop anywhere and get some fucking food, Kurt! They stop at a gas station, and Julie can't contain herself. She's ripping doodles and snack cakes off the shelves, eating them furiously. Kurt accidentally gets the attention of some thugs who threaten the couple. The store owner pulls a gun on them and tells them to leave. The thugs try to rob the poor man, and he ends up getting shot in the stomach. During the altercation, the thugs all run out, but Julie catches one of them and bites him on the arm, getting a taste for human blood. They damaged Kurt's bike, so he steals a van with the shop owner in the back. They peel out of there with the cops close behind them. Julie pulls out a needle and starts stabbing herself with it. The shop owner attempts to alert the cops by opening the back doors, but gets the top half of his head blown off. Julie sneaks into the back and finally has a good meal, devouring the man's brains. While that shit's going on, they reach the dead end and escape the cops. When the cops do arrive, they survey the area and are jumped by a half-headed zombified shop owner, who impales one of the cops through his fucking eyeball with a sharp blunt instrument, pinning him to the ground. He eats some of his brains, then starts going nutty with a crowbar on the other officer. Military people speed in behind them with the CO2 projectiles and put that poor bastard on ice. The couple escape through a manhole, but things aren't peachy yet. Julie is seriously going through it, trying hard to curb her hunger. She finds a coil on the ground and uses it to pierce her skin, rotating it, continuously stabbing herself. We discover that pain is the only way to curb her obsession with eating brains. This disturbs Kurt. They have a couple's quarrel where Julie says he should have left her dead and Kurt calls her disgusting. She leaves feeling dejected. Kurt races after her, but it's too late. Julie throws herself off the side of a bridge onto a couple inches of water and concrete below. This is all seen by a nice fellow living in the sewers, Mr. Riverman. Back on the surface, those persistent thugs know how the sewer system works and drive off to the river to find Kurt and Julie. Kurt and Riverman find Julie, who is still alive. Kurt tries to calm her down when the thugs arrive and they start coming after them. Riverman leads them away to safety in a drainage pipe. Kurt's dad is thrown off the case, but he grabs a freezy gun of his own and goes rogue trying to find Kurt. Riverman sneaks the couple away into his secret sewer home, which is actually pretty decent for what it is. Julie finds a jagged piece of broken glass and shoves it straight through her hand. They start having sex immediately after, which is disgusting, as her hand blood drips over Kurt. 
The thugs are getting close, with Colonel Dad close behind as well, finding their car. While the rest of the crew are asleep, Julie is going through a hideous transformation, becoming the ultimate sadist dream. She is performing more acts of torture than ever before, shoving sharp metal through her fingers to appear like claws, forcing broken glass through her shoulders to look like spikes, dragging a chain through her neck skin to appear like a necklace, but the loops are made of her flesh. It's fucking grotesque. The thugs arrive and start beating on our boys when final form Julie arrives, with gashes on her thighs and nails piercing through her forearms. It just so happens that the gang leader is into that freaky shit, pulling Julie into the back room where she fucks his shit up. With his screams filling the room, the thug who was bitten by Julie dies. Then Julie returns, dragging the leader's corpse by his head, pulling his spinal cord out. They try to shoot her, but it doesn't work. Julie bites the remaining thug's bottom lip off, peeling away a lot of extra face flesh. Julie attacks the lady punk, but Kurt manages to stop her from killing her. But don't worry, Zombie Thug is here to finish the job. He bites her on the neck, splaying blood everywhere. They all try to escape, but Riverman doesn't want Julie coming with them, rightfully so. They can't argue for long, though, because the thug leader has resurrected and he's grown nine inches with his fucking spinal cord head protruding. Kurt and Riverman are barricading the door with the military close behind. Riverman breaks a steam pipe, delaying the zombies. Kurt demands they leave through the exit up to the streets, but only if Julie comes too. Riverman is appalled by the idea, but Kurt is blinded by his emotions, leaving him no choice. The steam mutilates the zombies, but they keep coming. Kurt narrowly escapes them and reaches the exit ladder, only to find Julie eating brains off the floor. Riverman's brains. Kurt screams at her, but Julie has officially gone full psycho crazy and begins attacking the man she once loved. With zombies attacking from both sides, Kurt must introduce his pipe to Julie's face, smacking her across the room. Colonel Reynolds comes in and starts delivering projectiles first class to all the surrounding zombies, including Julie, when Kurt finally gives up and leaves her wide open. We fade to black and return to the military base with Kurt wandering the halls, passing by a room filled with trioxin tanks. He also finds a room where hideous tests are being done on all the zombies we've seen before, including Julie. In another room, Kurt sees a zombified riverman in a metal exoskeleton, with Colonel Sinclair using a comically large drill to drill straight through his brain, then connecting a special helmet to control him. The suit malfunctions, though, and Robo-Riverman goes on a rampage, one-shotting the scientists. Kurt breaks Julie out in the midst of madness. One of the scientists goes for a shotgun and blows Robo-Riverman's arm clean off, leaving only the robotic attachments in its place. He keeps going like the war machine he is, grabbing the scientist and smashing him into a convenient open switch, opening all the cells containing the zombies. Sinclair gets the shotgun and blows off one of Robo Riverman's legs and knee down. He starts hulking up, smashing and pushing over trioxin tanks, releasing even more zombies. The bars have closed the room tight, leaving Kurt and Julie trapped. Kurt gets the attention of Robo Riverman asking him for help. Some humanity remains in him because he pries the bars open giving them an exit. There's a ton of Tarman type zombies flooding the hallways and everything is going to hell. Sinclair gets picked off, leaving only Kurt and Julie to run like hell. Unfortunately, Kurt gets jumped by the OG Tarman 3 and he bites his arm. Colonel Daddy screams for Kurt to leave with him, but Kurt knows he can't. Him and Julie walk into the incinerator room and crank it up on high. They embrace each other one last time as they both burn together. Fucking metal. And that's the plot. Wow, this movie has a lot going for it, but there's a lot more to discuss, so let's jump into the characters. First, the protagonist, Kurt. 
Now, Kurt is your basic 90s teen who wants to be his own man and live out his dreams with his scary dream girl. He's constantly trying to do the right thing and is constantly getting himself in trouble. He is a decent protagonist. His one major character flaw is that he is attached to Julie no matter what happens. He's blinded by his love for her, and in the end, it becomes his downfall. If not for being a little unrealistic, Kurt is a very decent tragic character. Moving into the antagonist. Now, the biggest antagonist of the film is obviously Julie. I don't know if you consider her an anti-hero or not, considering she very much is killing innocent people, but she has an allegiance to Kurt, so it's muddy. Anyway, Julie is so tragic in this film. Warrior Cat's level of angst with her. She's a risk-taking thrill-seeker with a closeted attraction to pain and the undead. When she dies, she is thrusted back into a world that appears the same, but is so vastly different. She suffers through the entire film, mentally and physically, eventually becoming a super zombie of sorts with blades poking from her skin. Very strange, but very powerful. She seems to be a successor to Trash as another strong, memorable female character who becomes an unruly zombie. Throughout the entire film, she would never hurt Kurt, but when she finally succumbs to her hunger, it is a genuinely upsetting moment in the film. She redeems herself in the end, though, when she sacrifices herself. Damn, this movie is dark. Next, we have the zombies. Now, the zombies in this film are very different and much darker than the first film. No graveyard resurrection scene, thank god. The zombies are all fucked up in one way or another, whether they be lab rats or battered victims of Julie. A lot scarier as well. Definitely a lot scarier. Shot on darker sets, these zombies remind me more of 28 Days Later than Return of the Living Dead. But, nonetheless, very effective. I wonder if this film actually inspired 28 Days. I doubt it. The Tar Man type zombies are fun, but the fucking super exoskeleton Riverman zombie hit me clear out of left field. This movie wasn't afraid to change things up, and I respect him for that. Now, technically an antagonist, but still pretty minor of a character, is Colonel Sinclair. She's a snooty know-it-all that just wants to have her damn robot zombies. She's constantly trying to take Colonel Reynolds' position, and when she does, she has no problem immediately jumping to extreme measures to get her results. Not much for this character, but she gives me the psycho batshit robot zombies, so... She's alright. Alright, moving into the side characters. So, first we have the thugs, which could be considered antagonists, but they're defeated so quickly that... I just can't do that. Now, the thugs are the connective tissue of the film that keeps the heroes in danger throughout. Personally, if I had to travel through the sewers and the person I was looking for was covered head to toe in spikes and looked at me like a Costco hot dog, I'd probably call it quits. The leader is unruly and cruel, but gets the absolute worst of it, having his spine ripped out. The three other guys are just your typical assholes that listen to their fedora-wearing leader. One of them is strictly there to show what happens when you get bitten. And the girl is the only one with common sense. She was trying to leave the gas station in the beginning, and she wanted to leave the sewers as well. Tough luck. Riverman. Riverman is the definition of wrong place, wrong time. He was just chilling, minding his own business, when this bloody mouth girl jumps off the bridge into his river. Out of the kindness of his heart, he offers his home to these strangers to stay and rest. What is he awarded for this act of kindness? He gets shot in the leg, smashed in the face with a pipe, gets eaten alive, gets resurrected, gets put in a fucking military-controlled robot suit, gets his goddamn arms and legs blown off with a shotgun, 
and burns to death. Holy fuck, I feel downright awful for how this man was treated. And the final side character is Colonel Reynolds. Colonel Daddy is the typical too busy with work to notice his son, Dad. He eventually redeems himself by telling his superiors to go fuck themselves to stay connected with his son. He does it well and is a decent side character. All right, time for the next segment where we discuss the film. Moving into the next segment of the show where we discuss more of the filmy type things. I'm going to add two sub-segments because I know that I've talked about the plot and plot dump and I know I just talked about the characters, but I'd like to discuss them in terms of how the film was made because I feel like there's more information I want to tell you. So let's get into it with the plot. Now, this is a comic book movie, if I've ever seen one, full of twists and turns attempting to flip the Return of the Living Dead story on its head, and it does a pretty good job at that. In the first two films, the government has always tried to cover up or get rid of the trioxin tanks, but now they're utilizing them to make super weapons, which is super left field, but very welcome. We've seen what happens when a living person gets sprayed with the gas, we've seen the effects there. What about for someone that has just recently died? What happens there? This film is definitely the black sheep of the franchise, not having a traditional zombie horde risen from the graveyard, and I think that's beneficial. The whole film is about one girl who, against her will, slowly becomes a brain-hungry brute, and a man who's too attached to her and his dreams to let her go. It's a tragic love story that's also trying to be a Return of the Living Dead film. And also, it completely jumps the shark with the robo-zombie bioweapon subplot. This film is all over the place, but somehow it works just right for me. The way I see it, if you're ever going to do anything super drastic and stupid, at least make it cool. The characters. This movie is all about Kurt and Julie, mostly. It's about love staying true, even through horrible dismemberment. They fight and bicker, but always come back to each other in the end. Very interesting dynamic having her be undead. It honestly grosses me out when they have sex, though. Honestly, Kurt isn't that interesting of a character. The only time his character actually develops is when he willingly lets them shoot Julie, but he pisses it away immediately by going back to her in the next scene. I think he's just a golden retriever boyfriend type character. Julie is great. She is the reason to watch this movie. Fighting an unwinnable battle the entire film is very suspenseful. Also, I love characters that go for transformations. One of my most favorite examples, even though it's not the best example, is in Christine with Arnie. He's a dork in the beginning, but the car makes him an asshole, and I love that. I love how characters can start somewhere and end somewhere completely different. Every other character in the film is kind of mediocre. We have our thug bad guys and our white suit good guys. Certainly not as interesting as the first film, but the only character that I feel was memorable other than the main two was Riverman. He comes out of nowhere and steals the show, loud and awkward, offering wisdom in the only way an eccentric Riverman could. I like him. He's a nice guy. The writing. With the source material they had, the writing is actually rather good. I like how the characters are introduced, I like the dialogue enough, and I like how the story progresses. Another small segment I'm adding is the acting, which I think is big and should be discussed. For a low-budget third film in a franchise, the acting is superb. You have some shaky moments with Kurt's dad yelling in the final scene. It seemed like he was going a little out of his range on that one. And the thugs are kind of extra and not all too believable. But everyone else is great. Kurt holds it down. Riverman is weird as hell, but it's great. Julie is wonderful. I actually feel bad for her. But the one thing that really stood out to me were the zombies in the lab. Now, I get it. They're just screaming. But those screams sound real and they bother me, man. 
Great job on the acting. The pacing. It's great. This movie is never boring for me. The story is interlaced really well, and almost every scene is interesting. The look. Dark as fuck, and bloody as fuck. The film has a great contrast between the clean, sterile military base and the filthy, dingy city and the dank sewers. The same way the base gets covered in blood, so do the streets. The darkness perfectly adds to the mood. The first and second films, even in night scenes, were so well lit. In this film, they told their studio lights to go fuck themselves. The feel. Tragic and disturbing at times. Grungy 90s darkness, moody, atmospheric. Editing. Now for this segment, I'm gonna mention things like good transitions, like nice audio or something, but like mostly it's gonna be for me complaining about things that I don't understand. And with this one, the voice of Tarman 3. They made him sound like a fucking goofball. Where in the first movie, he's, you know, intimidating uh, brains, right? The second movie, also intimidating brains. But in this movie, he sounds like... It's, it's fucking super weird. And it fucks the mood. But Tarman 3 looks cool. I guess just uh, dub that scene over with your own voice, maybe. That would make it better. Alright, moving into special effects and the kills. First... The kills. When the zombie bites off the man's fingers, stabs him with a scalpel, and repeatedly smashes his face into the glass. It's the first kill of the film. It's brutal, bloody, and very funny. No Fingers Boy resurrecting and getting some good chomps in was handled very well. The blood in this film looks nasty and it's great. The scene in general was dark and disturbing, with the man suffering while they closed the bars down, trapping them. Julie flying 60 plus miles per hour into a pole was shocking. Kurt's reaction to it is peak 90s soap drama and it hits me in the heart every time. Tarman 3 securing a kill on the security guard is great. Sneaking up on him, tackling him to the ground and eating his brains. The shop owner getting his head... <laughs> the shop owner getting his head smoked by the cops was a little excessive, but it was important to establish that Julie is beginning to lose her humanity. The gore with her scooping the brain matter into her mouth with her hands was delightfully disgusting. The zombies actually do some killing in this movie. They've stabbed people with scalpels, and now shoving crowbars through people's eyes. This shit is fucked up. The spinal cord hanging out is very dead alive, evil dead, and I welcome it any day of the week. The lower lip peel is cringeworthy. Absolutely revolting. Zombo thug biting the neck of the lady thug is some more blood for your buck. The ultimate heartbreak, though, was the loss of my dear river man. Julie ate his brains without a second thought, even though he did everything for them. Brutal. When the extra tanks were breached in the lab, a long-clawed zombie pulled a scientist into the tank like the crate from Creepshow or the cellar from Evil Dead 2. Fantastic creepy kill. Sinclair getting pulled in from behind, also like the crate. And finally, Kurt, Julie, and Riverman burn to ash. Some very, very decent kills in this movie. Now for the gore, this film does a great job with disembodied limbs. Legs being thrown into the retort and arms being drilled. I love the scientific aspect of this film testing the true limits of 245 trioxin. Tarman 3 is very unique, unlike the previous two. The first two Tarmen, well, look like they were made of tar, black and slimy. This version has more of a rotting skin look with a nasty ribcage and a melty face. Not as good as the original, but better than part two for its originality. 
Not to mention, the skin ripping off the face to reveal the skull was a brilliant touch. We have some very unique zombies in this film. I love the half-headed shop owner, an excellent effect to show his brain still hanging out. The spinal zombie is downright ridiculous, but I love it so much. When Riverman whacks his head clean off, it is a laugh-out moment for me. Steaming the zombies is somewhat of a tradition in this film, and it always delivers the good. Pink, bubbly flesh will never not be gross. Julie's self-harm is a huge portion of the gore in this film, and it progressively gets more and more grotesque. In the beginning, she's burning herself with a lighter, then stabbing herself with a needle and jamming a coil through her arm, eventually becoming a walking death machine. When Robo Riverman gets his limbs blown off, that shit is absolutely vile. It looks way too real and it's sickening. And finally, seeing a bunch of Tarman type zombies running around at the end is the cherry on top of all cherries on this gory Sunday. So for the final segment, I'll be adding another portion to it just to make it more in depth. So for the segment, does it deliver? It's going to be, does it deliver slash lasting impression. Now, like I mentioned in the previous episode, there were two ways to make a dark comedy zombie sequel. Either make it funnier or make it scarier. This film chose scarier and it really made it work. It's an excellent use of the property and a great film to boot. Pumping up the violence, pumping up the suspense, and pumping up the romance? Return of the Living Dead 3 definitely delivers. It's a wonderful underground horror sequel. The lasting impression is also strong with this one. What you'll remember most is zombie Julie covered head to toe in spikes fucking shit up. Like I said before, comic book movie. On IMDb, this film was given a rating of 5.9 out of 10, and I feel like in the last couple episodes, my ratings have been kind of loose, and I want them to be more specific. So I'm going to break the film down in three specific categories to try to decipher how I feel about the film in a less broad fashion. I will go back and redo my ratings for the first two films if they're any different. The segments I've chosen are the plot, the special effects, and the lasting impression. Remember, these are stupid horror movies and I should not be critiquing them like a film critic because I'm not a fucking film critic, I'm a movie fan. So here we go. The plot, I give an 8.5. It throws everything out the window and remakes it all very well, utilizing the same core mechanics of the original films, but flipping it on its head. So great job on that. Special effects, 8.5. Really, really good, bloody, nasty, effective, disgusting, fantastic, really fucking good. But it's not on the level of stuff like The Thing or The Fly or Evil Dead 2 or Dead Alive, shit like that. So I'm not going to give it a 10, even though it feels like a 10 in my heart, I'm going to try to keep it objective here. And Lasting Impression, 7.5, giving us a final score of 8.1 out of 10, and I actually feel really good about that. Okay, you all know that I love Return of the Living Dead. It's my favorite film of all time. You cannot revoke the 10 out of 10 because it's flawless. But for Return 2, I gave it a 6 out of 10, I think. And I think that it might be a little bit better than that because with the plot, I give the film a 7. Because yes, it does reuse some of the prior aspects from the first film, but it still does it really well, so 7 on that. For special effects, I give it a 7.5 because it's not as good as this one. It does have an amazing lightning scene and it does have some spectacular, gross-out, green, blobby shit. But this one's still superior. And for lasting impression, I give it a 6, giving us a final score of 6.8 out of 10. 
And now, with that retroactive continuity, you know the rankings of the three films. And that's everything. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flash Rewind. Thank you for joining me for the first ever retrospective. Um, I've been debating in my head whether or not I want to do Return of the Living Dead Necropolis and Return of the Living Dead Rave from the Grave. I think I'm going to do them eventually, but not for a while because I need a fucking break from this madness. But <laughs> let me know what you think of the show. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. You can email me at flashrewindpod at gmail.com with questions, concerns, episode requests, anything you want. Next time, we're going to be discussing a personal favorite of mine because you just can't get enough of the stuff. Thank you for watching and listening. Until next time... Fire up that incinerator, baby. Grab the shit, grab the shit, man. Get up, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, die, motherfuckers.